0: As we come this morning to God's Word, it is the third last sermon we've got in Revelation. Can you believe it? We've come quite a walk. It's been quite an exciting journey. As a book that I started off, it is a book of the unknown for me in many ways. And as we've been exploring it, it's been amazing how God has been showing us through His Word. The passage we're looking at this morning is the last of the teaching on what is waiting for us. And after this, the last two sermons we're going to get and the rest of chapter 22, it is a kind of an epilogue. Jesus saying, I'm coming soon, and then some closing instructions on what to do with this book. But today, and it's sad in one way, it's the last of what is life going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth, and so let's enjoy it. You're really going to have to stay with me this morning. We're going to be all over the Bible. And so you're going to have to use this finger, this book, and we're going to be all over. So stay with me. Our open readings, opening readings are going to be four different readings, one in Genesis. And so we're starting in Genesis this morning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 to 17. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8 to 17. And the picture we're going to see in Revelation today is of paradise restored. And so we need to start with what the problem was. And that is back in Genesis, where God created and where things went wrong because of the sin of Adam. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 to 17. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. In the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Habilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. The delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Kosh. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows out of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work in it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The literal translation of that is, You dying, you shall die. Think of that phrase. Now let's see how things progress. The prophet Ezekiel explained way back in the Old Testament of that day which would come when God would recreate what had gone wrong. So in Ezekiel chapter 47 verses 1 to 12 we read about that. Ezekiel chapter 47 verse 1 to 12. Now take note of these pictures because we're going to come to them in the five verses that we're going to look at this morning in Revelation. All as relevance. Ezekiel chapter 47 verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold, Of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. So do you see the picture? We've got the temple, and out from below the doors of the temple on the eastern side, there's a trickle of water coming out. Now watch what happens to the trickle of water from the temple. Verse 3 Going on eastwards with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water and now it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in A river that could not be passed through. And he said to me. Son of man. Have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back. I saw on the bank of the river. Very many trees on the one side. And on the other. And he said to me. This water flows towards the eastern region. And goes down into the Arabah. And enters the sea. When the waters flow into the sea. Note this. The water will become fresh. The sea-water becomes fresh, and wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish for this water goes there that the, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from engedi to. Engelaim, It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Take note. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. We're going to see those verses again in Revelation. Now, third passage I want you to look at is in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. And we will get to our Revelation passage, but hang with me. It's all background. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 25. This is the Apostle Paul describing what is waiting on us. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So that has relevance too. Now turn to Revelation chapter 22 and the first five verses. And you'll recognize some things. Revelation chapter 22. And His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Starting to see some of the picture? So as we come to this passage this morning, I want to give a a few words on the new heavens and the new earth, as I promised I would. In the opening lines of this chapter, chapter 22, they lead us back even further than the Old Testament prophecies of Ezekiel, Joel and Zechariah that we looked at last week. To the description of the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2 verse 10 where it said, A river was going forth from Eden. What's the point of it? The point of it is that God will make the end like the beginning. In Revelation, the picture is, God will make the end, where we're heading to, like the beginning, but better. And He's going to do that through the recreated heavens and earth, which will exist on a much grander scale than first. And so, the whole of this morning, as we look at chapter 22, think the big picture when you read this text. In your mind's eye, see the big picture. Because it's all about that picture. You see, Isaiah prophesied about this amazing recreation which is awaiting us. And I said we're going to go all over the Bible. Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 17 to 25. This is what he says. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 to 25. Old Testament speaking about what is to come. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now, I just want to stop there for a quick second. So you think to yourself, but hey, how does that make sense? How can there still be death in the New Jerusalem? It's not. It's not there. He's using it as a picture of what there was before. Now, in the New Jerusalem, a young man shall die a hundred years old. What's the hundred? A hundred means he will carry on forever and ever. And the sinner, a hundred years old, shall be accursed. When the New Jerusalem's there, the sinner will live under that curse forever. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Think of the history of Israel. They did a lot of hard work in that country. And enemies came in all the time and destroyed and raped and plundered. But in the new Jerusalem and everything waiting there, this will no longer be the case. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. How long? Forever and ever. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. Now again you say, how can this be true in the new heaven? There's going to be no birth. No, there isn't. He's comparing. He's saying, in the new heavens they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. In other words, nothing will be done for calamity. It will be past, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call I will answer, while they are still yet speaking I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. In other words, I'm going to undo the curse that is upon mankind. Do you see it? You see, the whole of creation is affected by Adam's fall. We saw that in Romans chapter eight verse twenty. The whole of creation is waiting to see what happens now. But the whole creation is also affected by Christ's redeeming's work. Romans spoke that to us as well. And when Jesus came and he died for the sins of mankind, he started that reverse of the effects of the fall. You really need to track with me this morning. And creation, as J.B. Phillips says in his book, it's as if creation stands on tiptoe, stretching its neck just to catch a glimpse of this new mode of existence when Christ recreates. Creation can't wait. And I hope you and I as believers, we can't wait either to see what is it going to be. Is there an excitement in us? Or do we get so burdened down by what we see every day and hear on the news? We need to have that hope of glory which is waiting for us. 2 Peter 3 verse 10 to 13 says this, speaking about the same time. 2 Peter 3 verse 10 to 13. This is what he says. Hang on, I'm in one job. 2 Peter 3 verse 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are on that are done on it will be exposed. You see, that's speaking about this recreation and how it's going to work. The Lord says through the Apostle Peter, I am making all things new. Revelation chapter 21 verse 5. So that's this new heavens and the new earth. And not just that. The new heavens and the new earth will be a place where righteousness dwells. What does that mean? It means that what was ruined in the old will be repaired in the new. The curse that was on Adam and the rest of mankind will be undone. It will be a new creation. And the word new here suggests a newness, a a newness in kind and quality. There are some things in the new creation that we are going to see for the very first time. But there are other things we're going to see which have been recreated and they're going to be perfect. Think of that. God will transform creation so that it may reflect its intended glory and magnificence when He first created. That garden when He first created the Garden of Eden must have been a magnificent place. And He put Adam in the middle of it and He said, now look after this magnificence. And one day He will recreate the heavens and the earth. And the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, says the prophet Isaiah. We yearn for that day. That's enough on the new heavens and the new earth. There's so much more, but there's only so much I can do in one sermon here on a Sunday morning. So let's get to our text now. Chapter 22, verse 1 to 2. The river of life. The angel showed me the river of of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Which city? This picture of the city of Jerusalem. The water is clear as crystal. What does that mean? Come, You guys are old hands at how to interpret Revelation now. Water clear as crystal? Yes. Purity. Why is it pure? Where is it coming from? It's coming from Yes. The throne of God and of the Lamb. How else can it be? It must be pure. Why? Because God is the source and the sustainer of life. Where did we see that? You see this is a reflection back to Ezekiel chapter 47. That picture of the temple and the water flowing out from under the doors of the temple. The water and and interesting thing I learned this week and some of you have probably known this a long time, but the temple, when they built the temple with those massive big columns going up to the heavens, it was supposed to be a magnificent structure. Why? Because it was supposed to be a picture in small of God's creation and His magnificence. So it was a majestic edifice supposed to show a picture of who God is and His creation. And here from the from under the seat of God comes this water. And as it flows away from the throne of God, it gets deeper and deeper in this Ezekiel 47 picture until it flows into the sea and it makes the very sea fresh. It gives life wherever it goes. Do you see the picture? Now here, this water comes from the throne of God in the new Jerusalem. He is the source and sustainer of life. And as it flows through the new Jerusalem, it gives life wherever it goes. It is pure water. God is the one who sustains. What is that a picture of? This eternal fellowship that we're going to have with God in the new Jerusalem. That water of life will flow right through the midst of Jerusalem. Right through the midst of His people who are gathered there with Him. We will have this ongoing life with God. Do you see what He's saying? And there's a second thing which is real interesting, which you can get from the Old Testament. But this water coming from the throne of God represents the work of the Holy Spirit among us. Where do I get that from? Suck that out of my thumb? Not at all. Ezekiel chapter 36. This is where we get it from. In the Old Testament, by the way, the work of the Holy Spirit at work. Let's look at it. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 to 27. Note these words. I'm going to go back to 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God. And by the way, when, I'm, when we're looking at this passage, he's speaking about Israel itself, the nation of Israel, who were his Old Testament example of how God can work with people. Look at this. Therefore, says the house of Israel, Say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, But for the sake of my holy name, he always is concerned about his name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. You see, use them as a picture to the nations. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Now note the picture here. I will sprinkle pure water on you. The water which comes from the throne of God. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. Watch this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. Here it is. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. There's so much in this passage. And so as this river of life comes from the center of God's throne, in the New Jerusalem, it represents His Holy Spirit that agent of relationship between the Son and the Father, the one who makes our hearts alive through the work that Jesus did, yes, but it's the Holy Spirit who works in us. And He points us towards the Father. Do you see the beautiful picture right here in Revelation 22 of the Trinity present with us in the new Jerusalem? Amazing. How does Jesus use... This picture of water, this living water in the New Testament. John chapter 6, verse 35. This is what Jesus said. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Why? Because it's living water which comes from the throne of God. It brings life. Yes, even fresh life to salty water. Revelation 21, verse 6. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life. Without payment. It's the very same spring he's talking about. 22 verse 17. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water without price. Do you see? The invitation of the message of the gospel right here in Revelation. And so I appeal to you, if you're sitting here in this church building today, You do not yet know Jesus Christ. His invitation comes to you from this very text. Your soul is thirsty without Him. This is where you come and meet Him. He will give you water which will quench that thirst. There's nothing else in this life which will quench that thirst in your soul. Drugs won't do it. Alcohol won't do it. Goods and riches won't do it in this life. Success Won't do it. Position won't do it. You will always have a deep hole in your soul. Come to Jesus Christ. He will quench that thirst which is there through the living water. Here's the picture. But you need to come. Otherwise the very same thing I said to the children will will be for you as well. If you do not come, your soul remains dark and full of sin. You need to come to Jesus Christ. I'll come back to that. And note this river that is crystal clear flows from the throne of God and right through the middle of the new Jerusalem. It's not there for nothing. Right down the main street. Right through the middle of God's people feeding as a ghost. We have this picture of eternal fellowship with God at the heart of the city. That's what it's all about. Why? Because everything is back to God. It points to Him. That's the whole point. Well, let's go to the next verse, verse 2, this tree of life. In Ezekiel 47, verse 12, we read about this, and I'll just remind you, just one verse. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food, They their trees will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water from them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be good for food and their leaves for healing. So now we look at this tree of life. Same description, just copied, cut and paste if you could in those days into, into Revelation. The Pro- prophet John was put on his heart just to quote that scene from Ezekiel. And the scene in Ezekiel was modeled on. It's not—it's modeled on that scene in the original Eden. Where the river flowed through Eden. But it's pointing to something greater. To that time when we will be with God forever. And we will participate. And we will see... The tree which gives us life every single day. Now, whether we see a literal tree or not, who knows? We'll see one day. But he's describing to us this picture where God gives all our provisions that we need. Yes, even in heaven. And who knows what that's going to be like. You see, God's word has come full circle. This tree of life appears once more where it was in Genesis 2 verse 9. We see it here now again. The wilderness which was touched by sin has now been transformed again into a garden in chapter 22. But it's much more than just Eden. There's so much more. This garden has now become a city. The garden of Eden God has now made into the city of Jerusalem where He feeds us, where He looks after our every need. Light has expelled all darkness. Healing and restoration are now everywhere present in this situation and the purposes of God have been fulfilled the glory of God is now shining in the face of Jesus Christ and that's the focus of life in this new city and therefore we have this tree which provides for our needs 12 kinds of fruit and it gives fruit every month so what's that all about you need to stick with the picture You see, this 12 kinds of fruit is the variety and the abundance of God's continual blessing. And it gives fruit every single month. There's never a month when there is no food. You see the picture? It's not that hard when we get into it. And so what we see here is provision from God which is never ceasing. Blessing from God which is endless. And the very leaves of the tree bring healing to the nations. Now in those days they used to know about putting leaves on and healing all kinds of things. But here this tree brings healing to the nations. Which nations? All those who have come and bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, who are part of the new Jerusalem. And so they come and there is no more sickness and death in the city because God is present among us. He provides for those needs. There is no more sickness, death, dying and pain. In, the, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, we saw this tree of life with the angel guarding it. Why? Lest man put forth his hand and take of its fruit. What do we see here in chapter 22? Man now again has access to the tree of life. Why? Because God is in the very midst of His creation. Now man has eternal life. Now please, the tree doesn't give life. It is a picture of of what God does for His people. Verse 3 to 4. And I need to hurry on. And this is less description here. Because a lot of this is what we've done. But just stick with me over here. Verse 3 to 4. In the New Jerusalem there will be no more curse. In other words, Genesis and the curse of Genesis will be undone. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 to 19. This is what the curse was on mankind. I'm going to just read it. The Lord God said to the, t- to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth And to dust you shall return. What does God do here? The curse is undone. And yes, we're going to be working in heaven, because we're going to come to that now. We're going to be His bond servants there. But it's going to be a very different type of work. Somehow, we're going to be working and working there for the Lord. I don't know doing what, but, but it's going to be a pleasure work. We're going to enjoy it. Now, if you're green fingers and you like gardening, well, yes, I, I suppose you... I, can, I can't understand that, but I just have to dig holes. But You'll be singing while you work. And somehow in the new Jerusalem and, and, and in the world to come, God is going to be giving us things to do because we're, going to be, we're not going to sit on, on clouds strumming little harps all the time. We're going to be somehow working for the Lord Doing stuff in the kingdom it's going to be a recreated new heavens and new earth. And in a way, we're going to be a lot like Adam who, before he sinned, he must have been singing to himself as he was going around naming animals, discovering new ones, working for the Lord. It was a pleasure to work. But there will be no more curse. Why? Because the throne of God and the Lamb will be in our midst. There will be no more sin in the effects of sin. And we as His bond servants, will serve Him. Now note that word. It's the very word used here. It's not just servant. his bond servants. His bondservants will serve Him. Where does that come from? It's an Old Testament term again. His bondservants. You see, in remember in the New Testament they would take that all and drive it through the ear of someone who belonged to a master's house, right? And he became the bond servant in that house. Well that that goes back to the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter two, verse fifteen, God placed Adam in the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. Those two words are important because they are priestly words. Here to cultivate and keep it the Hebrew words Abad and Samar are the same words used of priests for keeping their service in the temple. Priests had many jobs in the temple. They had to keep the candles going. They had to keep things clean. They had to keep things purified before the Lord. They had to serve in the temples of the Lord. They were His bond servants in that place. Now, in the new Jerusalem, we will be the bond servants of the Lord. We will serve in His temple. In which temple is that now? In His new recreated heavens and earth. We will be put there because the first Adam failed. And God will have us serving him as his bond servants in that place. Why will we do so? Because we will see his face before us all the time. We will no more flee from God as Adam did way back in Genesis when he had sinned. Remember he tried to hide from God. What a futile exercise. The God who can see everything in the new Jerusalem, there will be no more reason to hide because it's been taken care of Jesus Christ. And we're going to experience the most wonderful and intimate communion with God. We will walk with God as Enoch walked with God. We will be the friend of God as Abraham was called the friend of God. That's the relationship we'll have with God. We will see Him face to face. Why? Why? Because His name will be on our foreheads. The last section of that verse. His name will be on our foreheads. Again, it's a temple picture. We saw that in Revelation chapter 3 verse 12 to 13. Where the Lord says, and I better not quote, I better quote correctly here. Revelation chapter 3 verse 12 to 13. Just listen to this. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. You're going to get three names. You're going to have to have a broad forehead like mine. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see you see what he's doing here? When we are in the new Jerusalem, working for the Lord as his bond servants, his very name and the city's name will be on our foreheads and the new name that God will give us. We will be completely owned by him. We will be his bond servants, serving in his temple. And why his temple? Because God and the Lamb are the temple. We will be serving him directly. And therefore, verse 5, and I'm not even going to go into this because we looked at this last week. In this new Jerusalem there will be no night. Why? Because God is in the very presence of us. His, His presence radiates. There will be no light sources needed. You won't need a lamp or the sun because God will illumine things around us. And they, the nations, will reign forever and ever. Now this word reign is also a little bit of a puzzling one. And this is the last section of this verse. What does it mean? Who are we going to reign over? Don't misunderstand the word reign here. What the word reign means here is in the sense of we will be exalted and in a blessed state. We will be royalty with Jesus Christ. We are heirs with Him, aren't we? And so we will reign with Him. You see our little egos seem to want us to reign over someone. No. We're going to be with Him forever. And like Jesus, we are going to be royalty because of what He has done. We will be sons and heirs together with Him of God. Don't give your ego any space. There's been a lot we've had to cover here today. I hope you've got some of that picture. But I tell you, the best lies ahead. Why? Because you need no sermon that day. On the day when Jesus Christ reappears. All these things are going to become visible to us. And that's going to become the biggest sermon of all. What a sermon illustration that's going to be. Because we are going to experience these things that we've tried to see through words. God be praised for it. So what's the overarching theme of the book of Revelation? It's this. Not the devil, but Christ is victorious. I don't know what's happening in your life this last week. But hear this from God's word. Not the devil, but Christ is victorious. Yes, in your situation too. God's plan, though for a time seemingly defeated, in the end is seen to triumph completely. Here's the picture of triumph, chapter 22. We are part of that triumph. You and I, if you're in Jesus Christ, you are part of that triumph. Don't let Satan discourage you and tell you otherwise. You will be part of that picture when Christ comes again. But what are we to do? We are just to persevere. Here's the application. Two things you'll be glad to hear. Only two. First thing is this. There's a proverb we use. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. It means that you can give someone the opportunity, but you can't force them to take it. I want to plead with you this morning, as a minister of God's word, if you are not a believer here today, and I'll speak to you firstly in this application, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, If you have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, will you not partake of the water of life offered to you again today? Come to me if you are thirsty. I will give you drink. I will quench that thirst. But you need to come. He will never force you into the kingdom. You need to come. Will you come to the light of the world? John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says this, Just to you, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, you can either come to Jesus Christ and receive real light, or you can follow the wavering little candle lights that you try and push up in life, and try and follow that dimly right through your own life, But the bad news is when you die, that little candlelight is snuffed out. And the very next thing you will know is the overwhelming light of Jesus Christ. And it will be light so bright that it will expose your sinful soul before Him. And then... You will be faced with a darkness so dark when you realize that you have the rest of eternity without God in the thick darkness of His judgment. Light and dark. Would you not come while there is still time? Come to Jesus Christ. Drink from Him. Come to the light and have life. Why would you perish in darkness? And then secondly, for you as believers here today, and there's many of you here, here's some hope from this passage for you. Revelation chapter 7, verses 15 to 17, says this to you and I this morning. Revelation chapter 7, verse 15 to 17. This is what it says to us. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Why? For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'm going to read that again, but we're going to put you in there, and me. Therefore, We are before the throne of God, and we serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on this throne will shelter us with His presence. We shall hunger no more, neither shall we thirst any more. The sun shall not strike us, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd. He will be your shepherd, and He will guide you to springs of living water, and God will wipe away your every tear. From your eyes. No more pain and suffering. There's a hope for us. And therefore we need to persevere. Revelation 2 verse 7. And this I close with. Listen to these words. Revelation 2 verse 7. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's you and I. We've come through this whole book of Revelation. There's so much and you'll need to go back and I've given, given you notes today to kind of final to finalize some of your studies. But it comes down to this. Let him who hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And what does he mean by hear? It means put into your application, hear with your heart, which goes through your feet and your hands. And here it is. To the one who conquers... Conquers what? Conquers sin every day through the help of the Holy Spirit. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. You will be with God forever, being provided for by Him, which is in the paradise of God, in the new creation, which He will bring about. I pray that this book of Revelation has been an encouragement to your soul. It hasn't just been a puzzlement to your mind. But you've been encouraged by it. And I pray that will translate into the hope that you live through your life every single day. As you interact with unbelievers around you. May that hope radiate from your life. May they see there is a hope to be found in Jesus Christ. Why? Because this person can go through the ups and downs of life and yet somehow they seem to come out of it. And they're still speaking about God and the hope that's to be found in heaven. That's supernatural. I pray that God will use you and that many will be affected by your life till Jesus Christ comes and by His help and the Spirit's help who is inside of us. Amen. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for the privilege we've got that You've given us Your very breathed out words and part of those words were these visions that you gave to the Apostle John of when you will come again and that world which you've created, which you will have us being part of. Thank you for the hope that is to be found in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that for each of these things That this truth will become a reality. It may not just become something we read about in Revelation and then close the Bible and we kind of get on with life. But Lord, may these truths become a reality in our lives. May we know that Jesus lives in me, the hope of salvation, and I have that hope to give to the nations. That they too may see that there is hope for them. Life to be found in Christ Jesus. Help us to persevere through whatever comes our way, because we know that the future is held by Almighty God, the God of the armies, God Jehovah. Thank you, God, for who you are. Amen.